The 2024 presidential field is set. Let the horse race begin! You can find poll numbers and pundits on other podcasts, but the Compass of Power is the only place to find the candidates ranked by cultural region. In this episode, I'm going through the entire known presidential field. But instead of listing folks as Democrats or Republicans, we're going to break them down as folks from the Northern Coalition, who tend to be liberals, and the Southern Coalition, mostly conservatives. Instead of grouping them by state, I'm going to use the cultural regions employed by the Nationhood Lab, which itself is based on Colin Woodard's book, uh, American Nations. You'll get the gist pretty quickly as we go along. You're going to recognize these characters. And I think you will see, once again, that place is a better guide to politics than party. Hello, I'm Adam Wilson, host of The Compass of Power, where we say place is politics. All the action in the presidential primary, which really doesn't even officially get going until next year, but started like four years ago, uh, is in our partisan system. The parties pick their candidates, and they used to do it in these amazing conventions where they literally like argue with each other in a convention hall somewhere and decide who to nominate. However, in our worldview, we're going to look at the parties as representative of regions. That is, the Republican Party represents the South. It is controlled by the Southern elite. And it's the Southern elite who are out of power. They don't have somebody in the White House. The Northern Coalition, which tends to be the liberal side of things and is aligned with the Democratic Party, it has to be satisfied with a candidate with just a toehold on their side of the fence. And we're going to talk about that. But let's start with the Southern Coalition. In the Southern Coalition, of course, you have what we call the Deep South. Uh, the Nationhood Lab puts the population here at 45.4 million. Think of Mississippi, Alabama, uh, the uh, Deep, Deep South, the Plantation South. Here is the official description by the Nationhood Lab. Established by English Barbadian slave lords who championed classical republicanism modeled on slave states of the ancient world, where democracy has, was the privilege of the few and subjugation and enslavement the natural lot of the many. Planters, right? This is the land of the Confederacy in the Civil War, but has changed its tune, obviously. I mean, we have had, I don't know, say Reconstruction and the Civil Rights Act. And this is a place where many, many Americans are moving today. Uh, and they are putting up some of the, let's say, the second tier of candidates in this field. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, he was from, uh, is it Dunedin? Dunedin? It's on the west coast of Florida, but not Spanish Florida. Southern Florida is a different place. He's on the uh, the deep south part of Florida. You've got former South Carolina governor and United Nations ambassador Nikki Haley from Bomberg. South Carolina is ground zero for the deep south. That is where those English lords they were talking about came from Barbados and landed. Uh, and South Carolina is offering up U.S. Senator Tim Scott from North Charleston for the presidential race. 
Uh, both of these, we previewed Nikki Haley and Tim Scott in the previous episode, have really interesting bio- biographies, and I think will be really, it'll be very fascinating to watch how they fare in the Republican primary, because they do come from the Deep South, which is that archetypal uh, antithesis to liberal values in the United States. However, the biggest part of the Southern Coalition by population, and we're talking about elections, so numbers of people equal numbers of votes equals power, is Greater Appalachia. Here's the official description. Settlers overwhelmingly from war-ravaged Northern Ireland, Northern England, and Scottish lowlands were deeply committed to personal sovereignty and intensely suspicious of external authority. And when we say intensely suspicious, these are the folks who literally invented NASCAR because they were so intent on outrunning uh, revenue agents during the Prohibition. The moonshiners from Scotland and Ireland, ancestrally speaking, would try and keep their whiskey from getting taxed by driving as fast as possible through mountain roads, which is literally where we got a NASCAR. This is a huge group that spreads in a sort of... uh, from the northeast, starting in Pennsylvania, and then stretches southwest towards North Texas. And we have three candidates from this region vying to be leader of the free world. Uh, The most formidable is former vice president and former Indiana governor Mike Pence from Columbus in southern Indiana. And I should mention that Indiana as a state, the political boundaries, this is why states don't tell us as much as cultural regions do, that state includes a bit of the Midlands and a bit of Yankeedom, both of which tend to be aligned, uh, well, the Yankees are the Northerners, and the Midlands, uh, as we will see, are kind of a a swing region. Former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson is also from Appalachia, from Bentonville, uh, but Arkansas, like Indiana, includes another cultural region, in this case, the Deep South. So, uh, well, let's, see, let's go to the third one, then we're going to talk about how these crisscross. Uh, biotech entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy from Cincinnati, Ohio. That's right. Cincinnati, Ohio, which is right next to Kentucky, uh, is part of Appalachia. And I'd be really, you know, it's kind of fun because I think that, you know, Vivek is not a politician. He's not from the usual ethnic groups that you would think of as being Appalachians, but he does have that kind of cantankerous feel that you would expect from that culture. This is a culture that prizes uh uh, aggression and keeping people at arm's length and standing up to authority. So he's definitely in line there. Hutchinson, he's from Arkansas, and that includes bits of the Deep South culture. So he's had to make deals with the Deep South, which would make him a very formidable candidate in the Republican primary because the Deep South and the Appalachian section make up most of that that base, the red states. The red states are mostly Appalachian or Deep South in culture. However, it doesn't give him any crossover appeal to even Appalachia. Appalachia does go into parts of the Northern Coalition. Um, West Virginia famously elects very conservative Democrats. Kansas, uh, sorry, Kentucky uh, has a very different politics, say, than Mississippi. So, Hutchinson may have a lot of appeal across the broad Republican base, a.k.a. the Southern base, but does he have appeal up into the Northern Coalition, into the Democratic base? Pence might, because he's had to govern a state that includes Midlands and a tiny bit of Yankee territory, way up there in the north of Indiana. Ohio also includes the Midlands and the Yankeedom, because like a lot of other American cultures, they spread from east to west, so there's little bands of them going across. Let's talk about the Midlands, because this is the only 
region. And uh, the Nationhood Lab has done a lot of articles on this showing how this cultural group, when you map it out across the United States, is the only true swing group. They do tend to vote for whoever they like. And this actually uh, goes all the way back to the Civil War, where people would side with either uh, the South or the North, or at least uh, before or against having a war with the South based on very local ties. Here's the background. Founded by English Quakers who believed in humans' inherent goodness and welcomed people of many nations and creeds, pluralistic and organized around the middle class, ethnic and ideological purity were never a priority, government seen as an unwelcome intrusion. This is classic middle America. They like to let everybody do what they want to do. They don't want government to interfere with anyone's lives, but it also means they don't intend to use government to enforce a certain kind of ideological purity. The Midlands population is 35.7 million people, which uh, is right underneath. If you remember, the Deep South is 45.4. Greater Appalachia, however, which is the largest cultural group in the United States, has a population of 61.5 million people. There's only one candidate from the Midlands. Do you know who that is? You do if you've been listening to the show. President and Democrat Joe Biden of Delaware. Delaware is a small state, and the very top of it is affiliated with uh, Pennsylvania and the Midlands culture, that Quakers culture. Uh, the southern end of Delaware includes Tidewater, which is a small bit of the south, Southern Coalition. So I have argued before that one of Joe Biden's secret powers is that he can communicate very well with his fellow Democrats in the North, with liberals, and talk to them on their sort of ideological purity grounds that they really want everyone to believe this or everyone to believe that. But he himself never pushes people to believe as he does. He just tries to lead the way. At the same time, he's made very deliberate efforts to win over the underclass of the South. Part of his state includes what is the cultural South. And he is very, very attuned to the needs of people who don't like the overlords of the South. That's how he won the primary in South Carolina. That's how he won overall in Georgia last time. He uh, understands the Southern underclass and particularly black Southerners. All right. That brings us to the Northern Coalition. The Northern Coalition is the democratic territory and its heartland if the opposite of the Deep South is Yankeedom, is what they call it uh, in the Nationhood Lab, but we're talking about the classic North started in Massachusetts, uh, New England, Michigan, this area. Population 55.6 million. Here's the official description. Founded by Puritans who sought to perfect earthly society through social engineering, individual denial for common good, and the assimilation of outsiders. The common good, ensured by popular government, took precedence over individual liberty when the two were in conflict. And that is, to this day, the mainline liberal ideal, right? It is like, well, the common good is more important than your need to not wear a mask or your need to own a gun. Individual liberty second, common good first. That is Yankeedom. And who is running from Yankeedom? Well, let's put in Marianne Williamson. Uh, she is an interesting character in a lot of ways, but not the least of which that she is kind of a smattering of geographic and cultural backgrounds. She grew up in a Jewish household in Houston, Texas, which would be the Deep South, moved to New Mexico and New York City for a while, then back to Houston to open a metaphysical bookstore, 
and then to Warren, Michigan, where she leads a church. And because she is based in Warren, Michigan to this day, as I understand it, I'm going to count her as a Yankee. Uh, however, she's kind of one of these people from nowhere, which includes the other candidate for Yankeedom, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. He grew up in D.C., but also Massachusetts, obviously the Kennedy clan. He is related to President Kennedy and former U.S. Attorney General Robert Kennedy, and they were all based out of Massachusetts. He still lives there sometimes and sometimes in Los Angeles. Uh, again, not really from anywhere when you start to think about it. But I think that they both count as Yankees in that they are very ideological, very ideological. Even if your ideology is like we all have to get along and, and think deep thoughts, uh, that's a little – that kind of far outness, actually the hippies, if it sounds hippy dippy to you, it should, because you know that the hippies come from the left coast, which was also founded by people from New England. We'll get to that later. Rounding out the Yankeedom cast of strange and unusual characters is North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum. He is from North Dakota, and I have to tell you, I was like, oh, far west. You know, he's from the, the dry west part, a westerner. No, he is from the far east side of North Dakota, Arthur. He actually mortgaged the family farmland to invest in a software company a long time ago. And that software company later sold to Microsoft for a billion dollars. So very Yankee in that way. Don't forget that the Yankees are the people who invented the word tycoon. They are the people who gave us the captains of industry because they are believe so much in social engineering and community effort. They're great at leading companies. And in fact, every single one of the major software companies in the United States today is based in a Yankee territory. Most of them on the left coast, which as we mentioned before, was founded and controlled by people who sailed over there from New England. So San Francisco and the Silicon Valley and Seattle and Microsoft and Amazon, all of those places, Yankee. And so is Doug Burgum, who may be a Republican, but is also a major software player. That surprised me, and I enjoy it. Okay, also in the Northern Coalition, New Netherland is what we call this one, population 17.7 .7 million. This is also known as New York City and its environs. It is a Dutch-founded culture. This is the official description. Dutch-founded and retains characteristics of 17th century Amsterdam, a global commercial trading culture, materialistic, multicultural, and committed to tolerance and the freedom of inquiry and conscience. Who's from New York City? The number one challenger to President Joe Biden is former President Donald Trump of New York City. And you got to think, okay, wait, whoa, whoa. Didn't you just say that this is uh, multicultural and committed to tolerance and the freedom of inquiry and conscience? Yes, it's also a, quote, global commercial trading culture, comma, materialistic. Donald Trump is absolutely committed to trading, absolutely materialistic, and he is kind of uh, committed to tolerance and freedom of inquiry in that he doesn't want anyone to interfere with he, what he has to say. The number one trademark, in my opinion, of people from this cultural group is how strongly they voice their opinions at any opportunity, far more than any other culture in the United States. But unlike the Puritans of Yankeeville, they don't knock other people for saying what they have to say. 
it isn't offensive to them that people should say offensive things per se, if you know what I'm saying. They believe in the freedom of speech as almost an absolute. And Donald Trump is definitely in part of that. And who else is? In the race for 2024 is former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. He's from Newark. And he is a Republican who shows exactly the same inclination as uh, Donald Trump. And I think it's great that he's in the race because he is the only person who goes right after Trump. And you've actually been, if you've been paying attention to the race, more and more candidates in the race are starting to attack Trump directly. But that's because Chris Christie set the tone. He's from the same cultural group. And uh, he was asked recently on uh, about Trump's comments about his weight, because Chris Christie is not a not a small person. And his clapback was like, oh, what? Like he's some Adonis? There are tens of millions of Americans out in your audience watching right now who, like me, have struggled with their weight. I continue to struggle. I continue to try to do better, and so do they. This is a quote from Christie. What's that got to do with my competence for office? I ran the governorship of New Jersey for eight years. He called Trump a child and, quote, a bully on the schoolyard who teases you and makes fun of you. That's Chris Christie, definitely out of the New York mold. Speaks plainly, goes right after you. Also in the Northern Coalition is El Norte, uh, population 34.1 million. And here's the official description. Borderlands of the Spanish-American Empire, so far from Mexico City and Madrid that it developed its own characteristics. Independent, self-sufficient, adaptable, and work-centered. Often sought to break away from Mexico to become an independent buffer state, annexed into the U.S. instead. And again, this is one of those that I think we all kind of understand in our back of our head. This is the Southwest. It is Southern Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, California. And this territory was controlled by Spain before the U.S. ever got there. And some of the original governmental systems established continued right in uh, past uh, the U.S.-Mexico War and annexation into the United States. And this is a growing uh, area for the United States. And it's tended to vote for Democrats, despite it, you might say it has some conservative cultural approaches, but it just does not like the Deep South. Uh, the only candidate from here is conservative talk show host and unsuccessful candidate for California governor, Larry Elder of Los Angeles. And Elder, you know, made a good run, but his problem is that he's a Republican in a state that has steadily come under the sway of the left coast. That takes us back to our discussion of uh, San Francisco and the Santa Clara Valley, the very dominant up there right now. Now, obviously, Los Angeles is no small potatoes, uh, but it's very hard to win there if you can't cut into the left coast at all. And in fact, Gavin Newsom, the current governor of California, a Democrat who beat Larry Elder in uh, that race, is a former mayor of San Francisco. All right. Now, who is not playing in this game? The cultural areas that haven't put up a candidate to be uh, the commander-in-chief include Greater Polynesia, which would include Hawaii, the Far West, which is what I call the Dry West. The Far West, uh, as the Nationhood Lab calls it, is that big chunk around the Rocky Mountains where it's sufficiently arid that it takes government or corporate intervention to reestablish the European-style systems that the United States was based on, a.k.a. you need to build dams to irrigate farmland to get the crops that you're used to getting. You need to have giant corporations come in to start the mines to get the metal. Uh, 
And it's a big chunk of the United States. It's been growing very rapidly, and it has zero candidates in this race, which is a little surprising. In that category, put the left coast. Again, we are talking the, the often called the left coast uh, by other people. Like this isn't one of those few names in this list where you're like, oh, yeah, people call it the left coast. We're talking about Vancouver, BC in Canada, but also uh, Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, and all points in between. And this is a very liberal area. It's, been grow- it's the only part of the liberal coalition that's been adding population in part because of that phenomenal growth in the technology sector. But there are no candidates running from that area. Tidewater's in the list of people not putting, our regions not putting up anybody. Tidewater's where we got all our presidents back in the day, including Thomas Jefferson and George Washington. It's the Virginia area, and it's part of the South, uh, but it's been under a lot of pressure as D.C. continues to push its way south and into Virginia. And the old um, sort of self-sacrificing gentry of Tidewater just are not in the race now and haven't been in a while. Also not listed, Spanish Florida, the Miami area, which uh, is growing very rapidly, but has not put up any major political, uh, national political figures at this point. Or New France, uh, which would be the uh, Creole area around New Orleans. All right. So what can we say after we look at the entire 2020 presidential field by cultural region? Well, the longest of long shots seem to come from all over, particularly Yankeedom with Williams and Kennedy, but there's also an Elder from El Norte and Ramaswamy from Appalachia. These guys are all, uh, I, I don't like to use the f- term fringe candidate because I don't know that their views are all completely crazy, although Kennedy may be in there and Williams a close second. Uh, but they're kind of scattered all over. North Dakota and uh, form, and Burgum of North Dakota seems like he could be another Mitt Romney. It's hard to remember, but Mitt Romney was governor of Massachusetts, and he ran for president, and he lost to Obama. And you could not have asked for a more liberal-friendly Republican. He is very moderate, continues to be moderate as a senator from Utah, but... Uh, but there's something about running a Yan- a conservative Yankee that just doesn't work anymore. That used to happen all the time, uh, but it doesn't anymore. So I'm not sure that a Yankee, uh, even if they're from North Dakota, can light a fire under the southern base, under those Appalachians who want to fight the power, or under the, the deep southerners who really want to have the right kind of people play the role and lead us to our glorious uh, new future. The best shots seem to come from that middle ground between the North and the South. Joe Biden of the Midlands uh, is, I mean, he is the, first of all, the incumbent president. Obviously, that's a huge deal in politics, no matter where you're from, but he continues to have that ability to manage the middle ground, and that comes from his base in the Midlands. And that is that he's very liberal personally, but his tone isn't over the top. Or take, he loves to run on economic issues. That's been in the news lately, Bidenomics. He likes Bidenomics. And turns out Americans like Bidenomics. His social views are probably significantly to the left of a lot of Americans, but his again, his tone doesn't usually set people off. Now, no one likes the president anymore. We're in the days of every president has terrible poll ratings, but that's his strength. And his challenger is from New Netherlands, a.k.a. New York City, Donald Trump. And <clears throat> I've said this before, but Donald Trump's power 
is not that he can pull New York City into his orbit, but be his hard-charging New York style is very appealing to the Appalachians. He seems to out-Appalachian the actual Appalachian candidates like Pence and Hutchison. He's far more aggressive, says far more wild things, and that's in part because also being from New York City and having a background in media, New York City being the base of all U.S. media, uh, he's very good at dominating the news. Trump is. Trump can simultaneously dominate the news and work with our general press, freedom of speech, entertainment apparatus culturally. And at the same time, the things he says are very appealing to the largest bipopulation cultural group in the United States, the Appalachians. That's why he's formidable. Can Christie take the Trump playbook in which he uses his media savvy and tough talk to appeal to the Appalachians and fellow Republicans? I don't know. I will note that Trump does have a lot of legal trouble now. Uh, as we all know, he's up on charges. But Christie had some of his own legal challenges with the George Washington Bridge Gate and vacationing at a state park during a government shutdown. That's what I remember when he was governor of New Jersey. So downside for the New Yorkers is that they're not well known for being rule followers. Uh, and that could drag on Christie as well. What about our, our classic Southern leaders, DeSantis, Scott, and Haley? Now, they aren't as strident or hard-charging as Trump. They don't have that sort of uh, winner-take-all attitude. Can that win over in the Midlands, like, say, I don't know, Iowa, with this less hostile version of conservatism? Well, DeSantis is trying to have it both ways. Well, he's feared by liberals because he's very smart and has racked up some wins, but uh, loved by conservatives because of his caustic tone. But can he continue that? I don't know. It's it's always easy to say the front runner's losing steam because we pick front runners too early before there's any steam to be had. But so far, it doesn't seem like DeSantis, Scott, or Haley are mounting a significant challenge to Trump yet. In fact, it doesn't seem like anyone is except for Donald Trump, see aforementioned legal problems. And in a primary, you know, the question, if our argument holds that the Republican Party is the party of the Southerners, the Southern elite, then you've got to win over a big chunk of those people to get the nod in the first place. And how do you do that without powering up the Deep South or Appalachia? I don't know. One or the other is going to need some red meat. You're going to have to throw them stuff that appeals to the Deep South or Appalachia without putting off moderates in the North, people in places like Wisconsin and Pennsylvania who can stomach what you're talking about. That's the challenge ahead, but we will continue to analyze it from a regional perspective. I hope you enjoyed this. I think it holds up, but we'll find out. Thanks for listening to The Compass of Power. I'm Adam Wilson again. Give me a review. Tell your family. Tell your friends. And I'll see you next time.